And so when we start talking about the purpose of the Holy Spirit and, and why God gave it to us, it, if you go to different churches and, and different denominations, you're going to get a whole bunch of different perspectives and different um, ranges of the spectrum. You've got everything from, from speaking in tongues and signs and wonders and all those sorts of things um, to churches that just don't even talk about the Holy Spirit. And I was talking with, with my wife and some other people this week is, I don't, rem- I didn't, until I went to a church that the Holy Spirit was the focus, the, and, and it was probably the focus to, to a fault, I hadn't really ever been taught much about the Holy Spirit. I hadn't really been taught hardly anything about the Holy Spirit. I knew that there was a Trinity, and there's God the Father, and Jesus the Son, and then there was the Holy Spirit, and God the Father created everything, and we should worship him because he knows every star, and he knows him by name, and he told him where to go. And then there's Jesus who died for my sins and he is my savior and he is my Lord and we should worship him for that. And then the Holy Spirit came. And that, that's all I ever got. The Holy Spirit came and, 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 and now he lives in me. Okay, what does that mean? What do I do with that? And I had all those questions, but I didn't really have any place to go with them and, and I never really heard much about what is the purpose of the Holy Spirit. And so I always felt like the Holy Spirit was the lesser of the three in the Trinity. And we talked about that a little bit last week. And what I, wanted, what I talked about last week and wanted to continue to talk about this morning is the idea of God being omnipresent, which is everywhere present at the same time. God is all places at all times for all people, whether we recognize it or not. Whether we feel him or notice him it really doesn't matter. He is always present in our lives. He is always present in the lives of unbelievers and he's always present everywhere you go. But then there's this other expression of God that you see throughout scripture from Genesis into um, the temple and the tabernacle and into Jesus that, that there's the manifest presence where you can tangibly experience God in a way that goes beyond theory, that goes beyond just an intellectual or theological understanding that you can absolutely feel and know his presence. It's the difference between God is here and God is here right now. And I talked last week and I, and I shared the message with the youth group that night because there's, there's just something powerful about it and there's something that, that I thought the students needed to hear and talking with some of the students, they miss so many opportunities by gathering together. When we gather together, that's the prime opportunity to experience the manifest presence of God. And they talked about how often they miss it. How often, and the students themselves were, were wrestling with this and admitting that they're the reason that they miss it because they come into church with all these different ideas of what church should be and what it's gonna be and, and they start becoming critics rather than fans. We talked about that last week, and we'll talk about it a little bit today at the end, but we, in the book of Ephesians, Paul says that, that when you're filled with the Spirit, there are three things that happen, and the first one is that we, we come into worship, and we worship no matter what the song is, no matter what the style is, no matter what it is, we come in and worship God because he deserves it, and he's worth it. And the students recognized and admitted that, that there's so many times in their home churches, because our youth group is, is, is filled with students who don't go to church here. It's filled with students who go to all different churches and they all across the board kind of recognized in themselves, oh yeah, when I don't, when I don't know that song or I don't like that song or the song's too slow or it's too whatever, that they become critics and they become self-focused instead of God-focused and they miss an opportunity 
to experience God's presence. And we talked about the other reason that we miss God's presence so often is because we're looking for him in the really, really big things. All of us would love to see, you know, Lazarus. Lazarus died and was, was buried and Jesus came and then he raised him from the dead. We'd all love to see that and we would know that God is there if that happened. If we're at a funeral and, and the person raises from the dead, like we would know absolutely without a doubt God is here. If you have a diagnosis of some illness and we pray for you and it's gone, you would know that God is here and we're all looking for those huge things. But we miss the fact that God is manifest present in the really, really small things too. In the book of 1 Kings in chapter 19, we won't turn though, I'll just tell you the story. Elijah wanted to see God. Elijah wanted to see God. And we, I, think, I think if we're honest, all of us have that prayer. If we're being purposeful about going to church, we want to see God today. I'm going to church, I'm going to HCC, I want to see God today. And so God said, okay. And this mighty wind came. And I find it interesting that the wind is so strong that it tears rocks apart. The wind was so strong that it broke rocks. And it says, but God was not in the wind. And then a great earthquake came that rumbled the ground underneath the feet of Elijah. And I gotta be honest, out of all the natural disaster things that happened, I think earthquakes terrify me the most. The fact that what you're standing on is no longer stable. Oh, that, that's, that scares me. And, and Elijah experienced a great earthquake. And it says that God was not in the earthquake. Then there was a fire. It said God was not in the fire. And after all those things, a small whisper. And that's where God was found. I think sometimes we're not seeing God in the big because we're not focusing on him or finding him in the small. That we, like, like the students in our youth group, I think we come as critics far too often of, of all the different things that go on on a Sunday morning. And we become self-focused and we become others-focused and we become this chair-focused or this pulpit-focused or this keyboard-focused. We become focused on all sorts of things and we miss the whisper that is the presence of God. Because how many of us have left church disappointed? Because I just, I didn't, I didn't feel God today. But let's be honest, it's, it's at least for me, at least for me, I'm not one to, to be a fan of placing blame on myself. And so I'll say God wasn't there. Not that I missed him. God wasn't there this morning. Really, Brian? Really? Really? He's big. Universally big. I think you missed him. I think I missed him. It's not the fact that God wasn't here. God is here, again, omnipresent, everywhere present all the time. He's here whether we want him to be or not. That's the joy of God. He's there almost obnoxiously sometimes. But then when we want him to be there, the enemy comes and distracts us. Distracts us by so many things, so many things. And especially now that I've got kids, I fully understand the, the, uh, the amount of distraction that can happen on your way to church. And again, my on the way is very short on the way. But just the amount of distraction and frustration that can happen in a minute and a half when you've got three little ones. 
And you get here and there's expectations and there's all these things. And I think that's why we need to look at what are the purposes of the Holy Spirit. The ones that no one argues about. That's what I want to look at today. We can debate different theology on different ones, but, but I found three that are, are pretty universal. Regardless of what denomination or group that you are a part of, these are three that are universal, and I think they're the three that get overlooked the most. The first purpose of the Holy Spirit is to make us children of God. It's to make us children of God. If you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to the book of Romans first. Look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, if you don't have your Bibles, we'll have it up on the Sky Bible, as I heard a pastor refer to it, and I love that. Or the Wall Bible, whichever you would prefer. Romans 8, starting in verse 15. says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons or daughters, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. This is something that we could teach, that I, I feel like I could teach it 52 weeks a year for the next 10 years, and I would not begin to brush the surface of how important this is. How important of a theological point it is to be children of God. That we are adopted into a family, we are adopted as sons and daughters, we are chosen to be brought in and have all the rights and privileges thereof. That's why sometimes um, it's always bothered me when people um, beg God for things. Things that are promised in scripture because my kids don't have to beg me for things. My kids don't have to beg for the ham sandwich that's in the fridge. Now They might have to fight me for it if it's mine, but they don't have to beg me for it. They don't even have to ask. It is theirs. The things in the house are theirs. The joy of being in a family is, even with my, my, my parents or my in-laws, I can still enter their house, borrow their food. I don't steal it. Borrow it. And nothing's ever said. Fun fact, I still do that to this day, to both sets. And here's the deal, I can walk in, I know where the key is, I know the code. I can walk in to the fridge, open it up, and take anything that is there, anything. Now, I might get a hard time about it, but the answer's not no. And we're not just, we're not just kids to a regular person. We're children of a king. We're children of a king, and, and I researched this. I did some research, not a ton, but I, I just looked at some things and read some different articles and, and different history about, about the, the children of kings. And, and when a king was sleeping, there were only two people who could wake up the king. 
his military leader because someone was attacking them, and his children. Everyone else was put to death. That, that's historical, like across the board, whether it's a European king or an African king, kings, there were two people that could wake them up. The military leader, because we're under attack and I've got decisions to make, or my kids. That's, that's you. We don't, we don't recognize this. We don't recognize that, that we have the ability and the privilege to go wake up the king of the universe at three in the morning because we need him. Or, or not even that we need him, that we want him. That was the part that just switched in my brain this week as one of my kids woke me up at exactly three in the morning. I'm talking exactly three in the morning. What do you want? I want to cuddle. It wasn't funny cute then. Super cute now. Now I'm like, you go back to bed. But now I realize, and I think it was God showing me, he didn't need a single thing. He just wanted time with his dad. How many of us miss that opportunity because we don't recognize that we're kids of a king? We miss those opportunities at three in the morning when you can't sleep, when the weight of the world is too big, when you're laying in bed scrolling through your phone because you're so annoyed that you can't go to sleep. Why are we on our phone and not going to our father and just spending time with him? Why else do you think you're awake? Do you think God keeps you awake just for funs? For giggles? Like, haha, you're gonna be miserable tomorrow. No. You can't sleep because he wants to spend time with you. See, I'm that dad that sometimes I'll keep my kids awake longer than they should or, or wake them up for things because I want to watch something with them. I remember, I don't have a ton of memories with my dad. If you know me and my dad, we didn't have a great history when I was kids, but I remember there was one time, there was one time I had gone to bed and him and I were professional wrestling fans. Judge if you want, it's okay. Um, and there was always pay-per-view, which we never did because my dad was cheap. We had the money, he just wouldn't pay for it. And so, but he was too cheap to buy pay-per-view, but there was always like, there was one, it was, I remember it was called Clash of the Champions, WCW Clash of the Champions. And it was started at like 8.30 or 9 o'clock at night and it had all the big names and all the big matches, but it was free. It was once a year. And I remember one time I went to bed. I didn't even know it was on. I was probably five or six, maybe seven. I was sound asleep. My dad comes and wakes me up and says, we should watch this. I don't have many memories of my dad doing those sorts of things, but there was that moment where he just wanted to spend time with me. He wanted to wake me up to spend time with him. We cry, Abba, Father, which is a term of endearment. We cry out, Dad. And we miss this. We miss this so much in church. We miss this when, when times get hard. We miss it that we are children of the king of the universe. The all-powerful, all-knowing. Again, knows every hair on your head. No star moves without his permission. And me, I won't pick on you. I'll pick on me. There are times I am filled with anxiety and I'm like, what are you doing? You are literally the child of the king of the universe. I think he can handle it. Whatever it is that I'm stressed about, whatever it is I'm worried about, whatever is going on in life, the Holy Spirit is inside of me and that spirit confirms with my spirit that I am a child of God. 
The other joy about a child of God is you can never become not a child of God. The story of the prodigal son, that's the joy of the prodigal son story, is that the, the, the king was there, and the two sons, one was good, the other was kind of an idiot. The idiot son goes off and does his idiot things and comes back, ready to apologize and ready to be, I'm not, I'm not worthy to be your son, let me be your servant. And I think so many of us in this church see ourselves as servants of God before we see ourselves as children of God. That we're still trying to work to prove our worth. We're still trying to work to prove that we are good enough to be his servants. And when that idiot son comes down the drive, the dad picks up his robe and runs, which they didn't do. Only the low class men ran. He picked up his robe and he ran to his son and he didn't even let his son apologize. He said, he's home. My son is back. He didn't lose his sonship by being an idiot. Some of us this morning need to hear that. You haven't lost your sonship because you were an idiot. Okay? I got one amen. One person's honest, like, oh, I hear, need to hear that. Thank you, Brian. I need to hear that. When I go off the rails and I do stupid things. Not that a pastor ever does that. And I come back, God says, welcome home. Welcome home. Oh, we've been adopted into the family of God. And again, you can wake up your father anytime you need, and he won't be angry. He's a much better dad than I am. He'll never be angry when you wake him up. He's thrilled that you recognize how important you are to him. And the, third, the last one in this, in this section that I want to talk about is, it says that you were not given, let me make sure I have it right. It's up there. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. There's no fear approaching God. When you are a child of God, there is no fear in approaching him. That's why the Bible tells us to come to the throne, boldly, come boldly to the throne of grace. Because all of us have been there. My kids have done it. I've done it. When we've screwed up and we know we need to tell mom and dad, we come with trembling knees, shaky voice, because we're not sure how mom and dad's going to react. You don't ever have to worry about that with God. You don't have to go to God with trembling knees and shaking lip, worried and concerned about how he's going to react. Because again, we'll return to the story of the prodigal son. The dad was thrilled the son came back. If you picture God and you don't see him smiling at you, you don't picture God correctly. If you don't see a God who is thrilled that you are his child, you need to relook at your interpretation and understanding of the biblical God in the New Testament. Oh, we do things he doesn't like, don't get me wrong. But when he sees you, he is happy. Second purpose of the Holy Spirit is to unite believers together. And if you look at church in the United States today, you wonder where is the Holy Spirit then? 
Maybe about whole denominations. The oldest denomination in the United States is splitting because we can't be united. Which means we're not following the Holy Spirit. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 6. First Corinthians chapter six. We'll start in verse nineteen. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Let's jump to the book of Ephesians 2 real quick. Well, not Ephesians 2, Ephesians as well. There's only one Ephesians. The book of Ephesians. We're going to combine two verses. Ephesians chapter 2. I'm sure I don't have this. Yeah, I only have verse 22. I'm going to read from 19 to 22. Sorry, just 22 is on the screen. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In the, in the verse in 1 Corinthians, there's both plural and singular expressions there. So when it's talking about, do you not know that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit? There's the, that you are is, is plural, that you guys collectively, do you not know, first, the church of Corinth, that you collectively when you join together, are a temple of the Holy Spirit. But there's also singular, that you individually, that you yourself are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And then in Ephesians, Paul tells the church of Ephesus, you're being built together, knit together, to form a single temple. And this is a really, really good gauge of how well you're being filled with the Holy Spirit. I'll say we, because I want to put myself in this boat too. How united are you with the body that you belong to? Do you have unforgiveness? Do you have grudges? Do you have people you just can't get along with? You have people that back in 1996 said something one time and you can't get past it. Do you have that? Do we have a united purpose? Do we have a, a place that we 
Not, not you individually, but we as a body of HCC, do we have a place that we're going, a direction we're headed? Do we have those things? Are we united when we come together? And I'm going to go back, I'm going to keep picking on worship. I'm sorry, but I'm just going to land there today. Forgive me later. That's what we're talking about right now. It fits perfectly. Are we united that regardless of what songs are played, that we are here to worship God? Regardless of how loud or quiet they are, because we talked last week, some people think it's too loud because it's too loud, and some people think it's too quiet because once they hear themselves sing, they don't want to sing anymore. Well, I'm sorry, both sides, politely and as much respect as I can, get over it. Love you. Um, seriously. Seriously. Stop complaining about worship. And sing to the God who saved your soul from the pits of hell. I'll be done now. I'll get off, get off that soapbox. I probably won't. We'll go back to it. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. But are we united? Because the church, the church body should be the most united place in our entire world. Which right now in our world is really not hard to be. The bar is set real low for unity right now. Okay, so like we don't have to work real hard to be united, okay? But we should be a shining example of what unity means. But I gotta be honest. Are we? Are we? Are we as a, as a congregation, a 50-year-old congregation, are we knit together in a way that we would lay down our lives for each other? I'm just gonna let that one sit for a second. Are we willing to lay down our lives for every single person in this body? Or is that too much of a sacrifice? Is that too much serving? Is that too much of a responsibility for me? Is it too much? Because we're part of a family now. And each family unit has certain things that they hold their core values. Each family unit in here has core values, whether you've, had, you've, you've claimed them or not. You have core values that you're passing on to your children, and they're going to pass on to their children. This is how we do life. When we raise our hand and say, I want to be adopted by the family of the king of the universe one of the first core values is that you're going to serve every single one of your brothers and your sisters forever. It's one of the core values. It's one of the core values that Jesus himself did not come to be served, but to serve and to lay his life down. Now, I've got to be honest. I don't think that God is asking you to physically die for each other. I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. But he is asking, are you willing to sacrifice for each other? And then, and then the next part, next part, I'm sorry. Do we know each other enough to know how best to serve each other? 
Or do we gather on Sunday, disperse, and gather, disperse? That's why small groups, if you're not in one, do it. Because then at least two times a week you're with people. Then at least two times a week you're with your family. Because that's one of the key things that, that, that I think, when I look back, when I first started coming to HCC, when I, when I didn't know Jesus, my family unit was a mess. And I didn't have a great family unit, and, and I didn't have grandparents. My, my parents are older, and I never knew my grandparents. And I come into this place, and I found family. I found guys that are still my friends. They were best men in my wedding. I was best man in theirs. I found lifelong family. My kids call them uncles. I don't, I'm, an only, I'm an only sibling, so I've adopted my own brothers. My kids call them uncles. Found it here. Found it here. And my question, my question, is this generation and the next finding that here? Are our high school students now finding the kind of family that I was able to find? And is the next unit finding it here? Are those in junior high and those in elementary Are we finding it here? And how do we do this? How do we do this? Paul tells us. The Holy Spirit gives us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All the things that you need to be knit together. Look at that. Isn't that handy? All the things that you need to have to get over everyone else's junk and that what they need to get over your junk so we can be knit together are found in the Holy Spirit. It's weird how when God asks you to do something, he then provides you with the resources to do it. He's fancy like that. Love. Do we genuinely love each other or do we just kind of tolerate each other because we've been here for 50 years? Or do we really, truly love each other? And do we find joy coming here? Or is it work? Now, if you have kids, it's always work. But find joy in it. (laughs) I heard some amens there. Peace. Oh. We need peace in this place. Patience with each other. We need all these things. This is how we find unity amongst the body of Christ. The family of Jesus should be united in purpose, united together, willing to sacrifice everything for each other. Move on to the final one. The final purpose of the Holy Spirit is to provide us with power to accomplish our purpose. Talked about this a little bit last week. Matthew chapter 28. Let's turn there. Matthew 28. Starting in verse 18. We'll break it down the same way we did last week. And it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's the promise of power. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. There's the command. 
followed by, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There's a promise of power, a command, a promise of presence. And I said last week, and, I, and I, I, I'm, still, I'm still praying through this because I don't, I don't know, but I have a theory. I have a theory that, that the reason that the disciples in the book of Acts were seeing things that were beyond anything any of us have ever seen to the point like Paul had, had like a handkerchief in his pocket that fell out and people touched it and they were healed. You can grab my handkerchief. I'm pretty sure it's not going to do that. But is it not because that power is not present or is it not because I don't have the power because I'm not doing the command found in the middle? Because the entire book of Acts, they are going and making disciples and teaching everyone everything that they know. They're going and they're teaching. They're going and making disciples. They're going and they're going and they're going. And as they're going, the power and the presence goes with them. The power and the presence is never supposed to be found in the pews. That was just for alliteration purposes. The power and the presence is when we go, not when we sit. Sitting is for encouragement to be built up so that you can go with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. This is your purpose. And it's to provide you with the power to do this. And something I recognized when I taught this Sunday night that I completely missed Sunday morning was I hear all the time, well, I just don't know. Like it says, teaching them all that I have taught you. Well, they, he, he taught the disciples a lot of things and I don't know all the things that he taught them so I'm, I'm just not ready. And I told the students, teach them what you know. That's, that's the command. Not teach people what the disciples knew. Teach them what you know. Well, I've only been saved like two days. I only know two things. Then teach those two things. Stop finding excuses to not do the great commission. The thing that we are supposed to do. Stop finding excuses because I don't know enough. I don't know what to say. It really doesn't matter Teach them what you know. Well, all I know is that Jesus is the Son of God. Perfect. We get really mushy on everything else. Start there. Start with what you know and teach them everything you know. And the promise of the Holy Spirit, Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8. I'll just put it up on the screen because we're running out of time. But you will receive power. You will receive power. You will receive power. You will, 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 not might, not maybe, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And what is the purpose of that power? To be my witnesses. It's not power to raise a family. It's not power to run a church. It's not power to have lots of money. It's not power to do anything else but be witnesses. And as you're being a witness to what God has done, he continues to do more things in your life. I'm convinced that part of the reason we are still struggling with certain sins is because we've stopped going. We are stationary Christians. We're not sharing, we're not inviting, we're not doing those things, we're not discipling people. And when we're not discipling, the power isn't there to be the witness. When you are the witness, when you are doing what God has commanded you to do, then the Holy Spirit continues to work on the things of you. I think the hinge of those who are walking as Christians should and those who are not, the difference is, are they going? The people who are becoming more like Jesus are the people that I see going and doing what Jesus has commanded. Those who are coming and sitting tend to remain the same every week coming and sitting. 
Because the power is not found in sitting. The first church didn't even have places to come sit. They were constantly moving. Now, the other scary part. The other scary part in the book of Acts. When the people wouldn't go, God forced them to go. When the people wouldn't go, when his people were stationary, we're here, we're good. This is, oh, look at all these people that are coming to salvation. And it says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's where they were. They were doing great things in Jerusalem. Woo, look at the church in Jerusalem. It is growing. We are seeing people coming. We're seeing people saved. We're baptizing people. This is awesome. Look at the power of what God is doing. And God's like, I did, that wasn't the end of the sentence, gentlemen. And in all Judea, which is farther, and Samaria, which is farther into the ends of the earth. And when they wouldn't go, he caused things to happen that forced them to go. I would always rather choose to do what God has told me to do than him to put really negative circumstances in my way that force me to do what he wants me to do. Because fun fact, ladies and gentlemen, there is no plan B for other people's salvation. We're it. Now, I've told God, that's a terrible plan. I know me, and I know some of you, and, and this, is, this, is, this is not a good plan. This is not efficient. This is not effective. And he goes, I don't care. Really, that, like, this is my plan, and you're going to do it. You can either choose to do it, I'm going to make you do it. Isn't that what we do with our children? You can choose to do it without consequence. I'm going to make you do it with consequence because we're part of a family. And we follow a dad who always knows what's right. And we follow a dad who doesn't just love his children, he loves all the people that are not yet his children. And the core value of this family is to go and to make disciples, to teach other people how great our dad is. And how he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. We can wake him up at three in the morning and he's happy to see us. But it's not just this church. God's family has decided that the world's just too scary to do that. I'm leading into the next time I get to speak, so this is leading you into the next one. This world is dark. It's real dark. But light only works when it's dark. If I turn a flashlight on in this room, it does no good. If we did the candlelight service on Christmas Eve with all the lights on, that is really not impactful. It's kind of a dud. I'll speak for myself. Which is me every time I go into a group of Christians and try and be the light. It's ineffective. It's kind of a dud. So this morning we're going to close with worship. And I want to read to you Ephesians chapter 5. I've quoted this a couple times, probably not correctly, but Ephesians 5, if we can put that one on the screen real quick. Awesome, thank you. Um, so Ephesians 5, Paul is talking to the church of Ephesus about the Holy Spirit. 
Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit to the point of overflowing. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. And I, and I, I have a theory. I have a theory. That this morning, when, when, when I bring to your attention that one of the core examples of being filled with the Spirit is the willingness to sing to each other and to God about how thankful we are for everything he's done. I have a theory that when we do that, when we do that regardless of the songs we're singing or the volume of the songs we're singing or how many people are in the seats or how many people are not here or who's not here or what's going to be the final score of the Chiefs game and all the things that we're concerned about outside of this space, I believe that if we can stop, what do we worship for, 20 minutes maybe? If we can stop for 20 minutes and focus on God, that all of a sudden the songs hit differently. The songs feel differently. That the Holy Spirit is no longer omnipresent, but he's here present in this moment as we sing together. So I'm gonna ask the worship team to go ahead and come on up. I'm gonna close us in prayer. And we're gonna try this. This is, this is an experiment time. Okay, you're my guinea pigs. Again, we talked about forgiveness, it's a thing. You're my guinea pigs. I wanna see if this works. I wanna see that if we can, I wanna see if I can stop being selfish and self-focused, and self-centered, and self-serving. Not just me, I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about me. If I can do those things, will I feel the presence of God in worship? If I stop being concerned about everything that's happening, or has happened, or is gonna, or might happen, and start focusing on what God has done for me to change my life, maybe, maybe I'll feel the presence of God. And it'll be a Sunday that I don't leave frustrated that I didn't feel God, but it'll be a Sunday that we celebrate together, probably with tears in our eyes, that we experienced God today. Why not? Why not? Are we scared? Are we scared of God's presence? We're his children. We need not fear God ever. He's a dad who looks at us proud and with love and compassion in our heart, his heart because his children are broken. His children are flawed. His children are not united and he loves us anyway. And I think this morning, I feel this morning that this, he wants us to know him. Not know him theologically, but to know him personally. I've seen a lot of heads nod, so I think we're gonna try it. I think we're in. Go team. I'm going to pray. Then we're going to stand. And we're going to worship. We're not going to even focus on anything else but God and how amazing he is. God, thank you, thank you, thank you so much that you love us. God, we are a broken mess and you love us 
You love this church when we're not united, when we're bickering and fighting. You love us. God, and you love us individually when we're flawed and broken and struggling. You love us. And God, thank you. Thank you that, that no matter what's going on in the world or no matter what's going on outside these walls, that for an, an hour and a half or two hours on a Sunday morning, we can come and experience you and know you and hear about you and love you and be loved by you. God, this morning I pray for your presence. I pray that you are felt here as, as real as the ground that I'm standing on, that you are real to us this morning. God, let us be moved by your presence. Let us not fight it off. Let us not push, push it away. But God, let us be real with you. Let us sing these words to, to you and then also to each other as an encouragement. And God, if you say to lift holy hands, let us lift our holy hands to you because you make them holy. Thank you that you make us holy, that there's nothing holy in ourselves, but you make us holy. God, this morning, be manifest in our presence. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship.